<laughs> nice good solid solid rock beat <laughs> man i like i just realized more and more how many like anxiety complexes i have from <laughs> playing ballet piano <laughs> like like just like counting things off exactly with like four <laughs> clicks which is like uh, really really hard to do cold right uh yeah yeah <laughs> it's like so i just like notice i feel like i notice every imperfection when i do it or like i think i notice imperfections i don't know it's it's like it's a weird thing wow Hmm. Hmm. yeah it's like there's only yeah it's like that time in the semester when it's just like fucking nuts so i oh, know <laughs> didn't your semester just start uh well we had like a week where we didn't have any classes but i mean we're I, classes end like it's not quite a month it's like maybe like five or six weeks but mm-hmm. like you know it'll be over by the middle of may and then i'm i might do this research opportunity on top of the classes i'm trying to figure out like watch a bunch of bash videos and see if it's something i want to do um, cool but um yeah, so that's just on top of everything. And then I'm trying to finish this piece, <laughs> which is actually the main the main stressful thing now, especially since it's like making me not, you know, uh not be able to do other stuff. So uh-huh. uh, I think I learned my lesson on procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> which is you procrastinate so hard you forget to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, I I was uh I, I saw in the chat with Alex you had posted like I don't have time to work on the glossolalia stuff because I need to focus on the the piece. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was thinking, yes. And also, Trevor, you did a really fantastic job with that 40-minute uh, <laughs> April Fool's episode. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I keep going back to it, just, like, you know, scanning around. Because, like, I don't think – I mean, I definitely didn't listen to the whole thing all the way through, you know, like <laughs> – I probably listened to like most of it in sections and like transitions and stuff, mm-hmm. but then it was a lot of like, you know, 10 minute long max improvisations kind of like layered on top of each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Would you just like fade one out while you fade the next one in? Yeah. I mean, I kind of did it like just visually like this block will be just like this, this one, this block mm-hmm. will be this one. I'll see if they overlap in <laughs> some cool way, uh-huh. uh, you know, and then there's like kind of the, the voice clip you sent twice the second time it's like stretched out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and uh yeah and then turning just delays on and off like (laughs) that was that was truly beautiful actually Uh, (laughs) i i I, sent it yeah i sent it to my D &D group and told them like you know this pertains to some of the themes we've been exploring and i'd be really humbled if you'd all take a listen (laughs) They well, said they liked have... it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking about releasing it as like a Gloss Lily, like on the Gloss Lily online yeah. channel. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, I sent it to my, my parents as well because my dad had texted me happy 102nd birthday granddad because my, my granddad was actually born on uh, April Fool's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like when that happened the doctor like didn't believe them and like they had to really convince the doctor to actually come 
<laughs> wow. Uh, so he sent me like a happy birthday, granddad. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, we actually just did an episode about that. Um, a special episode. You should check it out. Um, <laughs> and but so the thing is, what I didn't realize is they're down in Oregon where they don't have Wi-Fi because they're still building their house, and mm-hmm. so uh, they ended up like actually going into town and like trying to get Wi-Fi at the laundromat, and then they couldn't get it there, so they were like outside in the parking lot outside some like cafe trying to get internet so they can download the episode. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I felt a little bit bad, yeah. but <laughs> I, I just I just like, you know, exposing people to kind of experimental things. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like who who normally wouldn't ever encounter that, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and at least hope that they just kind of like scrub around and like, because <laughs> my reaction whenever I hear something like that, like the Death Grips released like this 32 minute tr- like track called Gmail and the Restraining Orders, <laughs> and like I I have I'm not able to like listen to the whole thing. It's like I just like scrub around and like <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's like really really noisy. <laughs> um. Yeah, and so when when Walker, my DM, uh, when I sent out the message, and then like someone in the group was like, uh, "It just sounds like crazy noises to me. Like, what's going on here?" <laughs> and and then Walker, who went to art school, says, "I assumed it was supposed to sound that way, and that it was about how meme culture is an infinite process of translation that can lead." To loss of objective meaning, leaving only interpretation. Holy, holy shit! Yeah, we need to have that guy. Uh, <laughs> we definitely will. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like. I'm I'm pretty proud of myself that I made that in like about four hours. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like I literally have no idea how long I'm gonna be able to make this thing, but like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's truly impressive. <laughs> yeah, because I remember trying to do stuff like that in in music school, and it was always like way harder than I thought it would be to like make something that was like sounded interesting at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything I came out with just after playing for a little bit, generally it was like kind of cool, but it always just sounded pretty sterile. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Just a quick disclaimer that we're two musicians and composers who like to talk about a bunch of topics that are sometimes slightly beyond our wheelhouse. If we say anything that's factually incorrect, or even if you just disagree with us, we really love if you send us an email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know.
So, which Eric am I talking to today? What? <laughs> which Eric am I talking to today? Is is it the one I usually talk to? Like, I'm recording a podcast, Eric, or is it, you know, some other Eric? I don't think that you've ever recorded a podcast with the same Eric. I don't think there is a usual <laughs> Eric. Each successive iteration of Eric is a unique and distinct individual. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. No, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Uh, but I think we do we do change depending on the context that we're in, right? We have like different different like modes of operation that are kind of mm. like different selves, like d- d- behave in com- completely different ways. Definitely. Yeah. Are there is it are there any in particular that you're thinking about? I mean, just you know, anytime you're around like another group of friends, you're going to behave differently. Mm. Mm-hmm. then you know you might just you might joke around a lot more you might be like pretty serious most of the time you know mm-hmm. you might not you know mention certain topics or whatever um yeah like depending especially on how comfortable you are with with the people you're around yeah and and just like the different ways you interact with people i know that i have some relationships where the person thinks of me as like some sage source of wisdom or something worldly and mm-hmm. other people who I'm basically like a toddler following them around. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so so the reason I ask that is I think it's I, I mean, it's something I'm I'm just kind of learning about recently, especially with like the re- the um you know, all the studies about the, the left brain versus the right brain and the mm. and the corpus callosum and, and all that kind of uh spooky stuff that I think we've kind of talked about where like there might be islands of consciousness in the brain that we aren't aware of, you mm-hmm. know, at all times, mm-hmm. like processes that are kind of running in the background, but have, have the, the elements for, for consciousness. Yeah. And for sure. yeah. Have you, do you think you've ever experienced that personally? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely see how it's true. I don't really know what it means to like experience it personally but but it it fits in with it fits in with definitely how i how i act i guess that's something i've like uh noticed a lot because my you know my my <laughs> interactions have been like pretty limited you know mm-hmm. these days and so like they're they're um and i'm as we'll get into i'm like a pretty darn introverted person so so like i'm very like conscious about how how I'm acting in, in like different situations, I guess. Mm. Like te- teaching versus, you know, when my partner Maddie comes over or, you know, I'm over at my like dad's house. It's, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely had experiences that, well, this is kind of esoteric and hard to describe, but it usually happens when I'm looking in a mirror and I've had that be different experiences, you know, like, you look in the mirror and you see someone looking back at you and you think, who is that person? Mm-hmm. And you, you see a person there and it's just like, well, darn, who is that? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you felt that? Uh, I mean, I've definitely, I felt like for a long time, like basically from high school to like, like late high school to like fairly recently, I feel like I, I didn't look like I aged at all. Like, I, I felt like, you know, everyone my age or like so many people my age look like so more, much more mm. mature and like, you know, just like face face wise. Right. Um, 
but I, I guess I started to notice that just within the the past like uh, year or so. Um, just mm-hmm. you know, like kind of subtle, just like facial skin structure. I definitely feel like I look different than than I did, you know, eight years ago. Well, for sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that's that's maybe that not what you're you're talking about, really. Yeah. So like, so so recently, I've had some uh, health concerns with my my eyes just from eye strain looking at computers and stuff for too long Mm -hmm. and i you know it's been okay dealing with it but i've noticed sometimes if i spend way too much time staring at a screen i will have my eyes become dilated differently Mm -hmm. one pupil is bigger than the other and it's really nerve-wracking to look in the mirror when that has happened um, because it's as if there's a disconnect between the two eyes. They're not working in concert. They've been, like, exhausted past the point where where they can't, like, coordinate. And, you know, e- even to the extent that they might, I wouldn't call it, like, a lazy eye or anything, but they're just, you know, not focused working together. Wow, okay, so that's crazy. So I've definitely noticed that happened to me where, like, one pupil is bigger than the other one. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I had no idea that that was related to screen time. But I mean, <laughs> that totally makes sense because I, <laughs> yep. you know, that's <laughs> uh, basically you know what I'm doing uh, most of the day, unless I'm like actively, you know, up walking around, mm-hmm. uh, like cooking or something. Or um, yeah. And so then, what's been really unnerving is those instances where my eyes are differently dilated and not coordinated then looking in a mirror and seeing and asking that question who are you you know what is the person that i'm looking at Mm -hmm. and it's so unnerving because it seems as though each eye has a different answer Mm mm-hmm yeah. yeah, like like what's what's the the first thing that that comes to your head when you when you ask yourself, uh, like who is that or what is that or that kind of thing? Well, it's a. Or, recog- well, I guess what are some examples? Yeah, I mean it's a recognition. It's like um, an immediate like, you know, it's yourself wanting to be seen, and when you're seen, it you you sort of swell a bit. You know, you say, oh yeah, there I am. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, actually, so, so this is a bit of a tangent or going to be a bit of a tangent, but, um, I guess a lot of the times when I'm looking in the mirror, my, my thought, you know, <laughs> besides sometimes it's like, you know, remembering stupid shit I did, but, or like, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, um, uh, depending on my mood, I guess. Um, but something I'm in the habit of doing just kind of throughout the day, like at least, I'd say like at least two or three or four times is like trying to recognize that the self is an illusion. And so mm-hmm. that's also like a thought that, that comes to my, my head a lot. Mm-hmm. Totally. And like, so, so when, then when I'm looking in the mirror and each side of my, me has like a different understanding of what it is I'm looking at, it's like, there's a record there, by, by definition, there's like a recognition, like, ah, there I am but that only comes through one eye. And so then it sees the other eye as being a distinct thing. And so it's as if like the other half of me is a different entity, a different version 
a different iter uh, a different instantiation of myself. Yeah. Wow. That is wild. Cause yeah, that must, that must just like, yeah, I just, I just wonder why that, have you looked up what, like why that happens? Why, uh, like the different dilation? Yeah. It's, it, you said it's just like uh, atrophy or not atrophy, but, um, like just exhaustion. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. And I, I kind of do have to go by what it feels like because I don't know that there's a strong body of research out there. Mm-hmm. I have like a relevant story, but again, it's a bit of a tangent, but uh, <laughs> I think it's also kind of funny and I haven't told you about it yet. And it's like relevant. So go for it. Um, okay. So I'm in this philosophy class this semester, right? And it's like, uh, I forget the, it's like called like philosophy and critical thinking. It's like a, you know, a thousand level class hmm. uh, that that's like required. And, uh, or like, you know, there's a couple different or a few different philosophy classes that you can choose from. Uh, but this is kind of the more like, straight up just we're going to go through kind of these thinkers starting with you know um socrates and plato um and kind of you know kind of survey stuff and um so yeah a lot of a lot of like freshmen and like under underclassmen in it plebs. and um <laughs> what plebs plebs <laughs> so th there's also this uh uh a group chat for the for the class um on on group me and um <laughs> I hope this doesn't get me into like hot water <laughs> like, <laughs> academic. I mean, like I've never, I've never benefited from, from it. I mean, pe and people aren't, you know, it's pretty hard to cheat in a philosophy class. Cause you have to, you know, I mean, like, unless you're act actively plagiarizing. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> we were, we had our first class after the test and, you know, people were kind of like upset with their scores, a lot of them. And, uh, uh, someone posted like the or someone asked for the group me link in the in the chat and um and someone gave it to them and so this this new person came into the, the group chat and then that day we were talking about like no self and buddhism and that kind of thing <laughs> and i i asked the professor because basically like uh i don't mean to sound like well i don't know i mean to sound braggy i don't know if that's like a concern Put but with like... all the qualifications and get on with it <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, like the the class is is like largely just a conversation, or like the professor saying things and me saying things, or like asking questions. Most, I mean, mostly asking asking questions. Um, and you know, sometimes other people chime in. Hmm. Sometimes, like no one else does. Is I it mean, like, like a small you know, class size. It's like twenty, twenty-ish people. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. So it's not like. Yeah, it's not. It's not huge. And. uh I, I mean, I've been, I've been really enjoying it, but, um, anyway, so the, this, uh, this group chat, this, this guy, uh, so I asked, is Nirvana related to ego death or like, how is it related to ego death? And this guy in the chat who I guess he assumed I wasn't in, uh, <laughs> typed, I, I forget exactly what it was, like, but it was like, uh, <laughs> Trevor's tripping. Nirvana is nothing like ego death. <laughs> <laughs> Facepalm emoji. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just like I, I think I only saw it like after the class I just like did not know what to do <laughs> I mean mostly it was just like really funny but uh, <laughs> uh, -huh. uh so I eventually I replied and, and I was like I wonder if this this guy's like done acid at some point and uh uh <laughs> and he was like yeah speaking from experience I was like what what experience it's <laughs> like yeah I I I took acid and uh, 
he 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 actually had a really good description for what ego death feels like and he he made me like realize that that's probably is what i experienced the first time that i that i tripped Hmm. because he said it it felt like you you like lost your mom at the grocery store (laughs) like like that's that's kind of and that's kind of the feeling i got when we were like uh all walking around that one time Hmm. like uh yeah i just like i did you know i I was like, wait, where are the people I'm with? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, and because uh, I guess that's kind of like your tether to safety. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but um. <laughs> yeah, the people you're with sort of like form the foundation of your psychic landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. How does that relate to introversion? Well, okay. Since we're talking about the self, we'll get into introversion. Surely, but I, I do wonder, like, given that description, do you feel like you've ever experienced it, ego death? Um, yeah, when I lost my mom at the grocery store. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I don't know. I mean, this concept of ego death, it seems to me like it's kind of a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it's just a label that you put on and things to sort of describe an experience that is that defies describing yeah I, I definitely agree with that and yeah like we were talking about with alan watts people will say almost exactly opposite things about what they felt hmm. and i mean maybe maybe that you know i mean contradictions are also a, a big part of zen so like that kind of tracks with with the nature of the experience that it that it is somewhat contradictory but um but I think a lot of people do do agree, especially people who have who have done a lot of meditation, that it is like a a shared experience that that they can all talk about and explore. Hmm. I mean, I've definitely had experiences where I feel as though my entire identity, who I am, like has died, and then what's left is now like a different person. Wow! Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> <laughs> Was that, do you have, do you have like a moment where you like realize that all at once or? It's, it's interesting to think back because there's like certain moments that spring into my mind and I can picture like where I was and when, what, when and what I was doing and thinking about. Like Mm -hmm. one was when I was on my grandmother's porch in the summer and, you know, just like almost sort of having a bit of a crisis about like this is who I am and who I am is failing at these particular hard to mention, like hard, hard to describe tasks or whatever, mm-hmm. like goals. And so it's like, Oh, I have failed. You know, it's like I built my identity around this goal and it didn't happen. And so now, you know, I, it didn't work. I, I'm, I am dead. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Yeah, wow. But I, I think it's it's like a process of just what happens. You know, you you run against the walls and then parts of you die. And that's how you change. That's how you grow because parts of you don't die. And then those parts of you learn from the experiences that led them to that point. And so you, uh, you, you adapt. Yeah. Yeah, man. That is, su- that is super interesting to think about. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because you you kind of outgrow certain parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, like they're they're just not like they, maybe they were useful, like at the time, but they're just not useful in, in the context you're in anymore. And yeah. so like you're, they're just they're just holding you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like realizing that, like seeing through illusions, seeing through falsehood, is is another one where you sort of believed certain things uh, about people about life in general about yourself and then you go and you go and then you see oh wait hang on i was not what i thought i was i was this other archetype i was this this deformed shape or not necessarily deformed but you know just this shape this this identity that is different from what i thought i was and you can kind of never go back yeah i mean i I think it's I think it's possible. I mean, specifically with like addiction, like mm. the, you know, I, I guess that maybe is the example of where it's, you know, easiest to go back. Um, but yeah, that's super interesting. So yeah, you, make, you mentioned archetypes, which is something I definitely want to, want to talk about. And uh, maybe before we get into that though, let's, uh, let's get into like the introversion thing. Totally. So, so I guess my, my question is, do based on the fact that ourselves we have different selves uh are introverts and extroverts like real or useful things Mm. to think about yes there's the big question dive into but do you have like a yes or no answer to that i mean i i okay so like i mean (laughs) nothing nothing in humans is 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 all the way binary right i mean Mm. like we're we're so we're so complicated, you know, I mean, the, the human brain is like the most complicated object we know about. I mean, you know, even crazy stuff like, you know, quasars and galaxies obey rules that we can pretty much understand, mm. we think. But like the brain is still like such a such a mystery that it's so because it's so complicated. So, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's although although I think. And so okay, so well. That being said, I also I also do think it is one of those things where like um, you know, most people are you know most people are clustered along you know among the poles, right? It's not mm-hmm. like an even distribution, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I feel like it's useful, but it's it's fuzzy, right? It's just like there's the points are more dense along near the you get to the the ends of the spectrum. So when I hear the question, like, is this a useful duality? Is it, are these useful terms? There's one way to interpret that as, like, is it useful? Is it a, a helpful way to describe things in order to understand the human condition better? That seems to be the, the approach that you're taking. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, they're definitely really useful tools for 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 describing yeah again like a shared experience that that once something is like explained to someone it's like oh yeah that that tracks with my what i've experienced up to this point right and i guess a lot of people feel that way yeah um and so that is just starting to get into uh, i think the other way to interpret that question and that is is this useful for people like does this help people yeah, I think I think it it can because like then once you realize that you're falling into this pattern, you could you know learn 
what to do to like deal with it if it's if it becomes a problem for you hmm. right if it's kind of holding you back like here's how you know here's how you like network here's how you you know do this other kind of stuff that we would think is very extroverted you can you can kind of learn to to you know over overcome it i mean that's like the because it's you know in the end it's all just like algorithms right like if this thing you do this other thing <laughs> in like social settings have you been coding and, recently <laughs> uh no <laughs> I, hope, I hope my c++ professors uh <laughs> cut that out i mean like I, yeah again this piece is kind of uh taking up my time but um no, 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 uh, i'm just teasing <laughs> yeah so i mean i this gets into something else which is like the the relationship between introversion and social anxiety i think is pretty hard to tease out yeah because i think a lot of people have both mm-hmm. and maybe like you know one causes the other or you know they, they both kind of cause each other mm-hmm. so this is really interesting to me um because my understanding sort of of the purpose of framing it in this sort of duality words introvert and extrovert is because it allows people to see these things these traits that they have of uh you know having difficulty in social settings uh, that kind of thing not as like there's something wrong with me but as this is like one of the two archetypes of people that i can be and it's just how people are and that's okay. Yeah. So are, are you saying there's kind of like a danger to that, to people getting kind of stuck in their ruts by being told that, that they, there's these, these two kind of bins and you're probably, you know, stuck in, in one or the other. Yeah. Well, so, so there's the flip side of it, right? Because yes, on one hand, if, if you accept this duality as like, this is how things are, then it, does lend the the possibility of getting stuck in the rut of never being able to transcend those qualities because you identify with them sure yeah i think i think there's an equal to greater chance though that if you didn't like look into it and just decided to you know not even think about it then you'd probably be more likely to to just remain complacent and, Mm. and just do what's comfortable yeah, so so I, I really want to start getting into this question of how introversion relates to social anxiety and anxiety in general, because I think there may be something a little more interesting going on there. Yeah, so I guess I guess kind of what I was getting at with the algorithms thing is that uh, the, the main the main cause for social anxiety for me, I, so I like experience this like every time I go out for a walk, right? Just like, am I going to acknowledge the person? Like how far away are they? Like, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and now of course there's this other layer of like, oh, are they wearing a mask, uh, or are they not? And and basically, I mean, <laughs> because of kind of you know how my brain works, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna like keep my mask in my pocket. If they have a mask, I'm putting on my mask. If they don't have a mask, I'm not putting on my mask, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is like, uh, oh, I mean, I also, I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for the masks. Like everyone should be wearing them, but. I mean, when you're, when you're walking outside and like, yeah, you only see like one person per, you know, nah. 10 minutes or something <laughs> it's or five minutes. It's like, there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's not really doing any good. And you know, the more, 
if it, I, you know, if I was like downtown with like crowds of people, then I would want everyone to wear them. But mm-hmm. when it's that that sparse, definitely, uh, um, I don't really think it's it's too much of an issue. Um, so but, you're in your head, you're over analyzing like every little detail about how to navigate that social interaction. Yeah, and it's like a feedback loop, right? Because the the more because I think a lot of socially anxious people are like like too aware of what they're doing, like yeah. they're you know they're overthinking it, and then they're aware that they're overthinking it, and <laughs> yeah. you know like uh-huh. uh, and so you just like don't trust yourself, and you also I think uh, although this is like more of an introversion thing, like you just tend to take longer to process things. Yeah, like yeah, I mean I I always feel that way, you know, like uh, if someone like asks that a question to the class in kind of a tricky tricky class I, i'm usually like it it, it it usually takes me like a, a minute or something to think of the answer and by then you know maybe someone else yeah answered so i, I i'm really curious about this feedback loop idea um, or i i, I want to touch on that because that ties back into the what i think the benefit of identifying as an introvert or an extrovert can be and that is if you do have that social anxiety, if you have that feedback loop where you know you're doing it and you're overanalyzing, you know you're doing it and that's what's getting in the way and then it, you start to get down on yourself because of that, it's almost mm-hmm. this sort of self-flagellatory uh, trap that you dig yourself into. Um, yeah, yeah. That's definitely well, a danger. Yeah, but I think that if you then have this like concept of like, oh, introverts, they're just like that. I'm just like that. It's normal. It's I mean, I don't have to get down on myself because of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in that sense, I think it can be useful in certain contexts. Yeah, yeah. The, the negative thoughts thing is interesting too cuz yeah, you're right. It's uh yeah, I know introverts tend to experience like guilt, feelings like guilt way more often. Mm. And I, I've just been learning a lot about the brain like recently. And so I, I just think uh, it always seems relevant. But like that, that negative voice in your head a lot of the time is like, uh, like those thoughts just kind of come out of nowhere, right? Maybe it's from like one, the subconscious part of your brain to the, the, the conscious part of the brain or like the non-language parts of your brain to the language part, right? Mm. But and if you actually listen to it, a lot of times it's just like the same thing, you know, like, or the same like collection of things kind of over and over and over, yeah. like kind of permutated. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if someone was like talking like that to you, you'd be like, you know, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. are you, are you, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, helpful advice for me has been like, you know, imagine what a friend would be saying to you in the situation, mm. you know, they would, they would say like really, you know, caring things and and you know trying to help you feel better and and that kind of thing so it's like um yeah yeah Yeah, and just allowing space in the conversation Mm -hmm. anything that drones on and on forever is is bad (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i really do the trick to and the trick to kind of overcoming that that voice is is you know mindfulness is is like incredibly useful Mm mm-hmm I mean, the, the trick is to, you know, not resist it, 
it's kind of like paradoxical you know mm. like you just have to like like have the thought and then just kind of watch it like disintegrate and turn into something else like it always does you know you're you know yeah um and no matter how times how many times it, it arises it'll always like eventually pass away right totally and so yeah even if you're having the thought like a bunch of times if it's something like that's really bugging you you have to do that same thing over and over again of, of just kind of accepting it letting it go and then eventually you know that's how you get the thoughts to be less less like repetitive and, and negative mm. but the sorry i feel like i'm just i just no, keep no, talking keep going. um but the thing thing is though right that like we we all have to at like certain points in our life you know like examine what we're doing and and figure out if we should be doing something different because we almost mm. definitely <laughs> should be right and uh this is actually something that the the stoics talked a lot about right which i know you're you're super into definitely so like taking time out of your day just like 10 minutes to kind of reflect and and you know kind of step outside yourself and ask uh, again kind of the question of you know what would someone else tell me if they could see like my entire life yeah yeah i remember a discussion via text with a friend of mine in seattle and he it, this was the discussion where we sort of opened up and started talking about how we actually do have like serious anxiety and and depression all tied together and um i had this imagery of my own anxiety which you know was a serious thing when i was in college mm -hmm. um and actually i didn't i didn't know how it was like super serious but um yeah well it, it, it was for me anyway yeah uh, it was a cloud over my psyche constantly it was uh, my personal little hell that I carried around with me all the time. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was built like that self-criticism, that voice that wouldn't shut up, but also just um, lack of space for acknowledging and for breathing. And, um, and it sort of took form. It took a life of its own. It felt to me like uh like a tumbleweed that i just kept kicking and kicking and kicking along until it grew and grew and grew and became this like machinery and a, like a hamster wheel and i was just like on the hamster wheel making it keep going keep growing and to the point where you know it's it's too big and it's out of my control and i can't i can't steer it where i want to and then having the realization in talking to my friend like you know i can let go of this and i it, it, at that point it was something that i'd already been doing and it was like you were saying it was like you have this these intrusive thoughts beyond your control except for you're the one feeding energy into them and if you don't do that then it's not that they'll go away right away because they have momentum but they, they're going to spin out and uh, I just had this imagery of this big like machinery wheel thing rolling and rolling that has like this all of my thoughts and identity and just seeing that like slowly roll away from me and like go away <laughs> probably yeah. crash into something somewhere <laughs> wow that's that's intense yeah yeah wow yeah I don't, I don't think I knew the full extent of that but that's yeah that was a very accurate description of how <laughs> like crushing anxiety feels wow mm. um, 
if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you want to support us somehow, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can go follow us on Facebook or Instagram or visit us online at postwavepodcast.com or send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on pretty much everyone out there. Give us a nice review if you're on a platform that supports that or a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Wait, that was seven. Okay. Oh shit! Oh, okay, <laughs> I got it basically on one anyway. Wait, are you are you sure? Yeah, you said one two one two one two three. Okay, I meant to say one two one two one two one two one two one two three. Okay, well, that's all right. <laughs> Again, I I get. <laughs> Nerves kind of like one, seven, eight, yeah. five, six, and <laughs> uh, one, two, three, five. Oh, shit, <laughs> and a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, and one, two. <laughs> What's that from again? It's from the the South Park guys did an intro for a Rush concert, like a Rush tour once, and and you know they're all like set up. They're all all the characters like in the band, and they're playing Tom Sawyer or trying to play Tom Sawyer, and uh uh the the joke is that the 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 guy who's singing is singing about like Huckleberry Finn, Uh and and yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about how the term introversion can be like a benefit to people. It can be a, a haven of sorts. Um, and we also touched on the fact that it can sort of be uh, in, entrenching. It can trap you in a duality and make you think that you can't change and grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we kind of said, well, uh, yeah, my, my response to that was it's probably equally or, or more likely that you would still stay in that that like niche if you just didn't pay any attention to the idea. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so one experience, uh, since we're talking about how it relates to anxiety, I remember being on the bus in Boulder in the summer uh, near Pearl Street Mall and during perhaps the peak of my experience of anxiety um, after you know this mental health thing going through phases of like anxiety going into depression and then going back into anxiety and each transition Mm -hmm. is in some ways like a relief 
and in some ways just like grinding in deeper you know just like torture kind of yeah like, oh i thought that depression was bad but now i'm having the anxiety and boy does this suck <laughs> yeah yeah it's the uh the the duo from hell yeah <laughs> and so it was like it was it was in an anxiety swing phase and there's just this sort of peak i was just sitting there feeling tense and like painful in my gut and but realizing it was it was at this time i was starting to realize that part of what was keeping me trapped in having anxiety was that i identified as having anxiety as this word anxiety it means like living in a perpetual state of fear all the time you know it's chronic right yeah and i i definitely feel it i mean ever since you started started talking about like cortisol all the time i definitely feel that yeah like anytime i it's like oh yep there it is like wow uh, the adrenaline yeah yeah that's really exciting that <laughs> you're aware of it just after having been you know had that mentioned to you yeah yeah and so i was sitting there on the bus and i i kind of had this realization like well shit i mean i can say that i have anxiety but i could also say i am afraid just right now me i am afraid and mm -hmm. the taste of that the feeling of embodying those words i am afraid so much rawer so much more acute discomfort and yet it was so clear to me that by making that transition by changing how i identified myself i was at the same time opening the door to allow myself to change if only i can move forward and face that fear yeah totally and I've, i found like writing things down to be super helpful just you know like writing down some of the thoughts and then that you know you, you do feel them more intensely when you're writing them down because it's like okay these are out of my these are like out of my head now but it then it that's it's kind of cathartic a little bit mm -hmm. yeah and i think part of it as well that distinction between anxiety and fear is that living in the present moment you can make decisions and you, you can change how you exist in the present but you can't change how you exist over the course of all time because you only exist in the present right yeah so if you have anxiety you can't change that it's just, it's just not a thing you you in this moment can do but if you have a moment of acute overwhelming fear you can do something about that yeah, you can you can learn to manage it effectively and and not and not just you know have it turn into a feedback loop that kind of thing. Yeah, if you look it in the face and you breathe, and eventually it goes away, <laughs> or at least mm -hmm. it uh, doesn't keep pushing you over. It, it just like you said, it breaks the feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so and so can you know, because because and so can you know thinking kind of rationally about what the situation is because most of our anxieties are probably irrational yeah right i mean that, that's the tricky thing there are some anxieties that are that are like rational and important to pay attention to but uh you know a lot a lot of them if you actually it's it's the kind of thing again that if you told someone else they would probably be like yeah you're like way more concerned about this than you should be yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> definitely so I definitely wanted to get into 
the kind of the evolutionary argument for why we have these these kind of two two polar categories sure introversion and, and extroversion yeah yeah so this is something that carl jung the uh psychologist and i guess you could probably call him a philosopher um uh so he, he talked about this a lot and and his his whole idea was that you know these two people perform different functions in society and and have different benefits like like we already kind of mentioned introverts you know can take longer to think about things and so they they'll kind of think of you know different things than people would think of mm. in the moment and and often they're they're kind of more creative and and you know thought out mm. that kind of thing yeah i i don't know i mean i that, that is really interesting and i i kind of struggle with it because i don't really know for certain that or one way or the other that introversion and extroversion is a useful dichotomy for me to understand people mm -hmm. like that's i mean that's a really interesting theory it, it, is there like evidence for that or uh just sort of makes sense I mean, there, there probably is evidence for it i mean like i mean the the okay actually yes there is uh of course neuroscience is like like i said the brain is like the most complicated thing we know about so we don't really understand a lot of stuff yet uh, but this book is from 2002, and this is the uh, the Introvert Advantage by uh, Marty Olson Laney. We'll post a, a link. Uh, but she talks about this one specific gene. Yeah, so there's this gene called D4DR that is uh, she she calls it the novelty seeking gene. So it, it kind of you know it kind of either you know motivates you to to you know play things safer or or kind of venture out what, what do you think about that how do they study that how can you find a correlation like that uh that's that's a really good question i mean i mean i mean yeah i'm not like an evolutionary psychologist or like any kind of scientist at all mm. but uh the, i mean you know just just controlling things and like tw twin studies are, are really useful for determining like really specific genetic things hmm. because you can kind of look at this two people who have, you know, identical twin twins who have the exact same DNA and then look at how, how much of like, are they super different because they, especially, you know, with twins that were like separated at birth, which is fucked up, but you know, it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so you can look at sometimes look at people who were, who were born in very different environments or sorry, lived in very different environments from a very young age and kind of see how they 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 both uh turned out as as a result of that. Right. Well, fascinating. I mean, if that's true, it would sort of make sense that there would be an entire spectrum of people who are more or less basically introverted. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, well the I mean the, the the hard the really hard thing about that is measuring you know how these people self-report their uh what was the their novelty seeking like tendency right you know i'm sure it's it's like more than one question <laughs> yesterday but... i tried an earl gray tea rather than my usual jasmine <laughs> i'd call myself a seven really uh really living on the edge there yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's higher caffeine caffeinated content Okay, so 
So yeah, this is really interesting because this actually connects to one of the other neurotransmitters I wanted to talk about, which is dopamine. Yeah. What I what I learned recently, and this is this is on uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast, who's who's this like neuroscientist at Stanford, and he just like, it's like most of it, his episodes are like just him talking about really interesting stuff about how your brain works and your body works for like you know an hour and a half, two hours. Um, but he talked about how dopamine isn't just like the reward for when when you get something good; it it is the motivator for when you get something good, right? Hmm. So. And, and not just, you know, you, you anticipating it, but like, it's actually like released, right? Like your brain is like, oh, here's a little taste of what you're going to feel like, you know, if you right. give into this desire or, you know, you do, you, you know, and it should be, you know, what it's meant, well, meant for implying intent, but what it, <laughs> the function it serves is to, to motivate you, right? It's like the, the carrot on the stick. Um, mm -hmm. And it should, you know, it should, it, you know, motivate you to do things like build shelter and you know hunt the animal and find the the berries yeah so 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 basically the, the they found that this this gene affected dopamine release and that if people people who were tend to be extroverted and kind of like risk and adventure seeking tended to have uh a version of this gene that resulted in more dopamine release and people who were kind of more content to just you know kind of uh have have very similar surroundings from day to day and 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 that kind of thing were had a different version of this gene that didn't release as much dopamine and they're they tend to be more introverted hmm. yeah I, I guess I, another thing i wanted to say is that I mean, obviously the reason they're i don't know if it's obvious but but one of the, the big big reasons that binaries don't really make sense is because like they make sense on their own but there's like you know maybe like at least you know 10 or 30 or some ridiculous number of binaries going all at the same time right, right? and then like fuzzy binary they're all mm -hmm. fuzzy so like yeah of course you can't you know say that this one category does not like define this person right because yeah. they have all this other like like uh a variation going on right so on that point, uh, there's another thing that I wanted to discuss in regards to introversion. And you know, we've looked at the mental health side of things. We've looked at the genetic aspect. And I think there's another thing that plays in very deeply to what could result in an identity as introversion versus not. And that is generational trauma. What, 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 do you, what do you mean by that? So general, generational trauma. So this term is, uh, it refers to trauma that affects people across generations. Across generations, meaning that you inherit it from your ancestors or that everyone in your generation uh, has kind of the shared the, trauma? The former. You inherit it okay. from people in, in your ancestors and so i'll give you an example in my own in my own experience my i think great grandfather on my father's side was highly abusive and would get drunk and come home and you know like throw bottles at his wife and beat the kids and stuff like that shit um yeah and so you know my granddad would learn to like well uh, dad's coming home, so quick, everyone, 
hide or like get out of the house or, you know that kind of thing um damn that's so so fucked up yeah <laughs> um <laughs> and you know not uncommon and so my grandfather was as far as my dad tells me uh kind of an absentee parent a lot of the time and he mm-hmm. was also an alcoholic he probably inherited that attribute from his from his father mm-hmm. and you know so so like part of the trauma gets processed and goes away you know my my grandfather while he was not you know uh, he was definitely not like physically abusive or anything he wasn't even verbally abusive I, he, I mean he's a sweet guy but as far as I can tell he was you know just not there for my dad he'd always be checking out and getting drunk mm-hmm. and then my dad so he wants to not be like his dad in that regard and so my mm-hmm. dad had when I was growing up I would say like hyper um carefulness in my regard and you know Mm -hmm. from his perspective like just I care about you and I don't want you to get hurt Um, Mm -hmm. but from my perspective it was very uh, kind of controlling and it lent to me like it was as if he was teaching me that it was more important to hold within me this sort of anxiety going into life like don't hurt yourself don't do this don't do that uh, don't let anyone steal anything from you. All of this as like more important than living in a state of well-being. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really tough balance to strike for sure. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of see how there's this whole chain of abuse, not abuse, um, of trauma that sort of echoes across the generations in different ways. Yeah, yeah, totally. And again, there it's there it's really hard to to tease apart like genetics and environment because they're they're so like intertwined Definitely. in that in that kind of situation. Yeah. So I want to put forward that my own experience of what I may have at some point called introversion to myself, I'm now starting to think about it in the context of generational trauma as it comes to interacting with people rather than as being something inherent to my genetics. Wow. That that is that is a super interesting idea. Yeah, because so much of Yeah, so much of your behavior is just unconsciously imitating people around you, even though you're you're a lot of times you're not aware of it, but it just kind of builds up bit by bit. Hmm. Especially especially if you're Someone who's more socially anxious, it can be easy to be, to just say to yourself, okay, I'm just going to do exactly what I saw that person who I like do that one time. Or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. or like this is, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. Overfitting in a certain sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but so so for me, this, you thinking about it in terms of, processing generational trauma i think that's a really powerful way for me to go about approaching this in the same way that identifying as someone who is afraid was a powerful way for me to go about getting rid of my anxiety 
okay so so how do you how do you deal, deal with this this need to be extroverted when you have this kind of anxiety hmm. i guess i guess you kind of already described kind of a similar thing to how i think a bit of, of mindfulness and, and that kind of thing hmm. but um well so one thing it makes me think about is the hedgehog dilemma do you know this term I do not. <laughs> this is uh, a reference to Neon Genesis Evangelion, that super <laughs> weird anime. I I only well I, I guess I've heard people reference it, but I'm pretty sure there's a Death Grip song that has a reference to that. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Uh, it, Trevor, if you haven't seen Neon Genesis and you're watching shit, stop watching anything and in the place of it, watch Neon Genesis. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I do, I do need to watch more anime. Like I, because I, I, I like it whenever I watch it, but I just I just I never think to watch it. Now mm-hmm. that I think about it, it's like. But Flying Lotus is there's this anime coming out. I think about a black samurai in Japan that mm-hmm. uh, Flying Lotus did the music for. Cool. Which I'm super excited about. So I'm definitely gonna watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Afro samurai is a really cool genre. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like what samurai shampoo totally, was right yeah yeah <laughs> that's a great one uh so anyway so neon genesis the hedgehog dilemma is sort of about how people have this difficulty in connecting with others but at the same time a need for that and you know especially people who have had some trauma or have felt socially isolated that there's this like drive to be close to people but at the same time this inability to be close this like need to push away when someone gets too close right it's the the hedgehog dilemma because they want to get all cuddly but they have these spikes on their back and so they want to see how close they can get but not so close that they poke each other wow that's wow that's that's a really cool like way of framing it yeah I, i i think a lot of people our age kind of feel that way because because of I think because of the internet and social media we're just kind of like saturated with lots of relationships that are are very like unusual mm-hmm. for humans because they're pretty like surface level and we're we're pretty be- you know I mean this is also just kind of the nature of friends like we only have a few friends who we can like really open up to about you know mm. kind of tough tough things and and yeah I know for a lot of people especially like physical stuff like just so showing like physical affection especially with dudes it's like mm. uh it's it's not easy <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah yeah jesus yeah yeah I, I definitely think the internet is making things worse in that regard but mm-hmm. i don't know if i'd say it's the source of it I, I i do feel like this is a thing that we all sort of simultaneously inherited yeah, no, I think it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example of that. I, I don't know if I can really think of one. Mm. I mean, I, I had a pretty like, pretty great upbringing. <laughs> it was it was a lot of. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, there was like some kind of scary like medical stuff that happened, but like mm. other than that, like, and it all turned out okay. So, yeah. I just uh, one thing I've been thinking about in terms of this generational trauma thing is like every action i make just thinking about like how it not only affects me 
but also echoes out and affects the people around me. And, you know, if I were to have kids, how it would affect them as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something that, that, uh, the same book I mentioned earlier, that's something that the introverts tend to think a lot more about is kind of the effects of their actions on the whole world and how they kind of ripple out Mm. and affect a bunch of things that you probably wouldn't think of in the first place or, or, you know, give, give the right weight to. Yeah. And I guess one thing, just to finish off this concept, is that I've been feeling into how my own interactions in social settings is closely related to what I think is, uh, you know, trauma I've inherited from, from, you know, my upbringing, from the generations past, and also from the community growing up. And how it's so closely related to my ability to feel present. If I can feel present in a moment, you know, I can engage. I can not be be awkward. I can, you know, be a, a person. And if it's a setting that makes me sort of check out, like there's certain aspects about it that make me feel uncomfortable. Maybe it's too loud and noisy and like thoughts are not uh, given time to explore or maybe it's like some something I'm picking up from the person or people I'm with like uh, weird energy or like disrespect or something like that that makes me shut down and it's it's really kind of unnerving when it happens because it it, it seems out of my control, but then all of a sudden I notice like every way I, I ch- interact, it's like I don't have the freedom. I, I don't have the ability to think and um, I end up acting in my typical extremely awkward sort of stance that I used to inhabit all the time. Yeah, and, and that's that's... Again, I think that's where where mindfulness can be can be super helpful, mm-hmm. uh, and this is something I've I think I've heard Sam Harris talk about. But it's a whole, it's a whole art of being mindful around other people, and that the trick is to you know get outside your own head and try to focus completely on what the other person is saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just kind of you know once you can kind of get out of your own head like that, it, it actually gives you a lot more freedom to to respond in the way that, that that's like instinctive right because you're you weren't necessarily like thinking about what you were going to say before you said it totally and i think of what it boils down to is recognizing that you know these traits that you have come to identify with of you know being awkward of being a failure in social situations is maybe not because of you but is actually because of certain particular traits of the environment that you're in yeah and and yeah like yeah and it's like not identifying with these these anxieties that you're having like not again not not getting down on yourself because you're feeling them it's like they're they're they are not you they will they will rise and they will hang out for for some time and then they'll eventually you know pass away if, if you let them so do meditation kids